0: So here's a really cool thing about today. I'm not speaking. Who's happy? Isn't that awesome? Woo! So I'm happy because I get to I get to sit and listen and absorb. But I'm super excited because um, someone from within our church community, Sean Brown, he's going to come and share today and continue in the series. Yes, yeah, you can clap for that. It's that's good. That's good. So Sean, Sean and his wife Diane and their two children have been part of our church for uh, children. I mean, they're in their twenties. You know, it's um, so. Chanel and Olivia, but uh, they, they've been with us for a while, uh, almost two years, I think, eh? And uh, just in serving and connected in different ways, and it's been wonderful uh, just to grow together in that. And uh, so, Sean, why don't you come up and share and, yeah, just walk us through this? So good to have you serving in this way today. <laughs>
1: Just for a quick review, last the very first in the series of this was covenant relationship. We're talking about covenant and kingdom. Uh, Dave talked to us about the relationship that God initiated with Abraham and how he he, he, um, he initiated this covenant, which we called relationship. That God wanted this relationship with Abraham, and so that was week one. We learned about how uh, a committed relationship that God initiated with Abraham. And we learned that in that, he had made a promise to him that all the world, all the families of the world would be blessed. In week two, Davis walked us through the life of, of uh, Joseph, and we learned that God just doesn't want us in relationship, but he's also called us to responsibility, which we called kingdom. So we have covenant relationship, and we have kingdom responsibility. Uh, you'll see the triangle that we, Dave shared with us. We went through our father, We found our identity in who we are in God, which provided us obedience. Through that identity came obedience. And that was the proper flow in the way we should live our lives and the way we do things. In week three, we learned that responsibility without relationship can be dangerous, right? In the triangle, we saw that God is king and he gives us authority and power. So, that relationship and that identity that we develop, and now through the king, he has the authority and we have the power to act on his behalf and to do those things. Jesus had authority from the Father, and he came and he said in Mark 10:45, he served. The Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve. And so it is with you and I. Through obedience and with the authority of God, we serve. Dave also mentioned appetite, affirmation, ambition. These are things that the world seeks to impose their will on us and impose their identity and, and their relationship on us and to be counter to what God will with us. And so we got to guard against that. Today we're going to continue in the series and spend a little time looking at uh, some different verses in the Bible to talk to us about the substitutionary death of Jesus and the victory of God and its implications for you and I. But before we do that, let's just have a word of prayer and we'll commit this time to God. Father, I'm overwhelmed by your great love and kindness toward us. I'm sorry, Father, if I've marred your name in any way this week. Forgive me. If I've if I've done anything out of character to offend you, Father, forgive us. Lord, we want to make this morning all about you not about us, not about me. So, Father, I just trust that your words will speak volume to us and that through it we can, we can glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. If you, it's not going to be up on the screen. I'll just read it to you. It's a very familiar time. It's Jesus is spending the Passover supper and he institutes the... Um, Um, the Lord's table at this time, what we commonly call the Lord's table. And I'll just read from Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 19 and 20. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. He had desired to do so. The Passover, we remember that God instituted this celebration of his delivering Israel the nation of Israel, out of slavery from Egypt. What happened, if you remember, with Pharaoh, they'd sacrificed the lamb, they took the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost that when the angel of death passed over, they were protected, God's protection. And so they were celebrating this time with them. But Jesus starts introducing some new words to them that perhaps were familiar or unfamiliar with them, and he talks about a new covenant. Now, we've been learning all about covenants uh, to a degree, and Jesus Folks, about a new covenant, a new covenant. In Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one, God talks about a new covenant that a covenant that He would promise. You see, the old covenant, where in, in Jeremiah, I should start with there, that He said, that "I will write my law on their hearts. They will no longer have to teach their brother or sister or neighbor who God is, because everybody will know who I am." That was the new covenant that. God had promised and here's Jesus offering this new covenant in his blood he would be the sacrificial lamb he would be the new covenant a better one there are two types of covenant that are in the Bible then we're talking strictly about the ones that God initiates these are all about God we have a covenant of works and we have a covenant of grace we see that we have covenants with Abraham uh, with Moses Adam David the nation of Israel some of the covenant of works uh, with Adam, it was like there was always a stipulation on one side. And that is, here's what we'll, I will give you, but you must do this. Don't eat of the tree and you will live. It was a covenant of works. See, part of the responsibility laid on the other person's side. In the nation of Israel, they were given the Ten Commandments. They were given the laws. And God said, if you follow my commandments, if you follow my laws, I will bless you. I will protect you. I will have you to prosper. But you must keep these laws. You must make me your God. And they had trouble with that. They failed at that. They fumbled at that. But that was a covenant of works. You see, the responsibility was on one person to keep part of that promise. That's covenant of works. Covenant of grace, on the other hand, is something that God initiates all by Himself. When God um, flooded the world, the planet, right back with Noah in Genesis. At the end of it, he said, "I will no longer ever bring water all over the face of the earth. I will not flood it ever again. I swear by Himself." He promised himself there was nothing anyone else could do. It was all God's grace. We benefit from what God has done. God initiated, God does it. There's nothing that you and I need to do. God has blessed us that way. The same thing Jesus is doing here. He is initiating a new covenant with us, and there's nothing that we can do about it. You see, he's doing it entirely on his own, and it's a covenant of grace. There's a slide here. A picture of myself on Thursday I was going to prepare my sermon and just before I did I noticed that my lamp one of these lights was crooked it bothers me it's been crooked for a long time and so was the other one the two end ones I walked up to it and I tried to fix it and I look at it and I noticed that the socket inside where the bulb go, goes was loose and like it's wiggling I'm like what the world is that? that's not good And so I unscrewed the bulb, and as I unscrewed the bulb, a screw fell out down below. I'm like, what the... That's not supposed to have any screws. You, normally, these sockets are riveted into place so that there is no movement, and it's solid, and it stays there. And I looked at the other one. I took the bulb out of there as well, and there was no screws. I'm like, oh, this is a problem. And I tried, and I attempted, I went down and got some new screws, and to get the right size and fit them in, and I couldn't line them up, and I got frustrated. I said, you know what? I got to take the whole thing down. So I took the whole thing down, and then I remembered as I took it down, oh, I remember this. A couple of years ago, this was really hard to put up. Oh, no, what have I done? So I straightened it out. I got some new screws. I put them in there. It was perfect. It was great. The problem with this thing is the wiring goes right up through the center shaft, up through the middle there, and that plate that's on the top there, it's immovable. Normally, these things move up and down. You work up there, and then you put it back up. This one is permanent. It's fixed, and so you have no room to put it up there. So the wiring goes in there, I'm like, you have two parts, one here and one there, and they're combined with a union. So you have a threaded part here and a threaded part there and a piece that joins them together. And so you've gotta screw it into the ceiling. So the wires get all bent up, it's getting a mess now. I'm like, oh no, and then I go, the wiring is wrong. Oh, I forgot, yeah, the guy who wired this place wired it all wrong. Now I want you to notice something. The reason this picture was taken was because I was sitting in the dark, there's a flashlight between my legs, and I'm on my island in my kitchen on a stool trying to get this done because it's too big and heavy. My wife and daughter walked in, and she went, Oh, Dad, look at you. Click. <laughs> <sighs> what have you done? But the point of this is, so I, I'm not going to tell you how long I spent on this. Now, I'm mechanically inclined, but this, oh, this. Nevertheless, this poor design, I attempted to put it, I finally got it all together, and I'm attempting to put it in. And the only way I can do this, believe it or not, is to swing that whole thing into place and just screw it into the socket or into the, um, the, the uh, box. And so as I'm doing this, it's getting worse and it's worse and it's not going. It's, something's wrong. It's not working. I'm frustrated. I take the whole thing down. I look at it and I notice that union that held that one screwed side and the other screwed side together, one of the screw sides broke inside the union. It was broken. It was finished and guess what it's permanent in there. I can't get it out The union is actually welded to the top plate. I can't change it. It's no more good What started off as something so simple as a correction? Turned out to be useless to me Now it's going to the curb if anyone wants to pick it up a tutu shamrock. It's going to be out on the side of the curb <laughs> I need a new one, but this reminds me of the covenant of works in a way, okay? This is what happens listen There is a correction to be done, a small one. It seems it's always small, right? And you go and correct it, but there's always something else. Jesus talked about this. He said you shouldn't have have, uh, um, caught in adultery or anything. You shouldn't even look at another woman, right? There's always a bigger problem lying behind the other ones. And every attempt on our part to fix it fails. And what really happens is here is that that union is broken between us and God in our relationship, and it's not working anymore, and it's no good, we can't. It's not a permanent solution. I need something new. And Jesus was offering it. I'm going to give you a new covenant. And how that's going to happen is I'm going to have to go to the cross. I'm going to have to bear your burdens and your sins, and I'm going to let my blood trickle down to cover up your faults. And that's what Jesus was offering. And that's what happened we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2 and work our way through it and see what's there for us. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Let's just stop right there. You. That's Paul was writing to these Gentile Christians and he reminds them that as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. You were lifeless to God. Before God came in your life, you were lifeless to him. Your sins had separated from you entirely. There was no, no avenue for you. You were living, we'll read on, chapter two, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Man, you and I were living like God did not exist. That's how we lived before we knew God. There had to be a problem. We were dead, dead to God. God needed to make us alive. In verse... Four, God's mercy. Listen to this. But because, God, bec- but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, his great love for us, despite the fact that we were dead, we are of no little value to God, his love compels us, compelled him to do something about it. There's a saying, someone said, uh, nails didn't hold Jesus up on the cross, love did. And that's what God has done for us. He is rich, rich in mercy toward us. That's, we, are, we are receiving undeserved grace or mercy from God. That's what grace is. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing that I could do about it. Verse five, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace. Grace, you have been saved. It's all about God's grace. It's all about him and what he initiated. You and I were dead. We couldn't do anything about it. We were useless. But God did something about it. He motivated. He moved. That's why we call it a covenant of grace. Verse 6. This is where we want to hang our hat today. This is where um, we want to hang on this verse just a bit here. And God raised us up with Christ. Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Not only have we been made alive with Christ, we've also been raised up with him. Just as death and judgment are behind him, they are also behind us. Death and judgment are behind us. We stand on a resurrection side of the tomb. This is our glorious position as a result of our union with him, And because it's true of us positionally, we should live as those who are alive from the dead. Imagine that. If we are in Christ, and he was raised, he raised us as well. You see, positionally, we are in Jesus Christ. We are not in and of ourselves, we are in him. Well, what does that mean? How do people act? How do alive People act. We know how dead people act. They live for themselves. How do alive people act? They take risks. Um, what was the name of that preacher? I forgot his name. Uh, Kampala. Tony Kampala. He preached this sermon a long time ago. I'll never forget it. There was a survey taken of, uh, of a group of elderly people, and the one question was asked of them: If you could go back and live your life all over again, what would you do differently? And the overwhelming response to that question was, I'd take more risks. I would take more risks. You had played it safe all your life and wondered, what if, what if? That's how alive people live. They take risks. Another aspect of our position is that we are seated in Him in the heavenly places in Christ. By our union with Him, we are seen as already delivered from this present world and seated with Christ in glory. This is how God sees us. If we appropriate it by faith, it will change the character of our lives. We will no longer be earthbound, occupied with trivial and transient. We will seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God colossians how does god see you you see oftentimes we look at ourselves and how we see ourselves poor miserable me but how does god see you you see if you're in christ that's what god sees he doesn't see the miserable you he sees his glorious son You need to look at yourself as God sees you. You can't spend your time looking in through your own eyes, but you've got to understand how you live your life is how God sees you. What does he think about you? How does he he view his precious child? You're an adopted child. You're the king's child. The key to verse 5 and 6 is this phrase. In Christ Jesus. It is in him that we have been made alive. We have been raised. We have been seated. He is our representative. Therefore he triumphs. And his position is ours. He is on the throne. He is sitting there. And that is our position as well. We look at from a a different perspective. A different position. Positionally we are in Jesus Christ. Verse 7. We'll go down there. Oh, by the way, verse six. You know what? Living that, living or seeing yourself as as God sees you. You know what that does for you? By the way, it gives you confidence. It gives us confidence. It gives us the trust, the power, the courage to take those risks for God. It really does. Verse seven says. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Incomparable. His grace, it's incomparable. Why did he do it? To demonstrate how great, how merciful, how kind, how loving he is for you and I. Verses 8 and 9 say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. It's his gift. It's not by works that, we, that no one can boast. You see that? There's no way for us to rob God of his glory. If you and I had to do something to earn this salvation, then we would rob God of his due glory but there's absolutely nothing you can do. Our position was stuck. It had to be God. It had to be him. It had to be through his grace and his love and compassion for us. What does victory look like? For Jesus, this is what victory looks like. We're going to read Hebrews 2, verses 13 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. Jesus has broken the power of the devil. He's crushed death. 1 Corinthians 15 The victory is ours. Death doesn't have a hold on us anymore. The devil doesn't have a hold on us anymore. The world doesn't have a hold on us anymore. Jesus defeated all that at the cross. Colossians 2, 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins, we talked about that, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all. All our sins, having canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. That was the law. He has taken it away and nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He triumphed over them. He nailed all that stuff, all that sin to the cross, yours and mine. It's gone. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as God sees you? He's not sitting up there counting off your sins. He sees the blood of Jesus in you. You need to start living like you're victorious and not like you're wallowing. Verse 10 of uh, Ephesians 2. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, with God which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our victory. Where does our victory come from? Well, it's found in Jesus. But guess what? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Not good works to earn salvation. Oh, no, no, no. We talked about this earlier, about our obedience and our authority. There it is, what God has prepared in advance for us to do. Hey, when you start serving God and you see yourself through God's eyes, every work you do, everything you do, God has prepared it for you in advance. He wants you to do for the kingdom. For the kingdom. We said kingdom is what? Responsibility, right? And that's where he's driving the other verse is therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm let nothing move you always give yourself fully to the work of the lord because you know that your labor is not in vain always give yourself to the work of the lord don't worry about it whatever the trivial whatever the large whatever the small whatever your part may be it's not in vain Victory comes even in the small things. When obedience is done, that's victory. That's triumph. So no matter what you do, if it's giving, it's giving. If it's sharing, it's sharing. If it's a word, it's a word. If it's a help, it's a help. But God expects us to be a part of it. He wants us to be a part of his work. Next slide. Jesus, our substitution, his victory. That's what we stand on. Nothing that we can do, nothing we can do. Because of Jesus' death, there's victory. Next slide. Our king, our identity, our position in him. Remember your position, who you are. You are in Christ, and that's where your victory comes. That's where your victory will come. Next slide. This is from the earlier one where father, identity and obedience. You see how these all tie together? Once we understand our position, once we have that identity with the father, obedience translates. Next slide. Our king has given us authority and power to do these things. He hasn't left you without the abilities. He's with you. His spirit is with you. He's given his spirit to guide you, to lead you, to help you. When he, the spirit, comes, he will lead you in all things. He'll tell you what to say, what to do. He hasn't left us powerless. That's the power of flow. Community, our community, it was Alex. I think it was Alex brought this up. We were talking about our authority and the power. Do you know what, and Mike Breen brings this out in his book as well what power do you know what kind of power you have available to you you have the power to forgive you have the power to help you have the power to heal you have the power to share a word you have a lot of power behind you and you have the authority of the father to do so forgive as i have forgiven right you have great, immeasurable power behind you to live victorious. He hasn't left you empty-handed. It's all there. Identity. Our next slide. We talked a lot about identity and how we find our identity in the Father, how we find our identity. Jesus, all his ministry was done in that relationship, and his identity was found in God, and he had power. He could never do God's will without... That relationship that he had. But you want to know something else? For those of you, um, well, for all of us, I suppose, our identity in God, how Jesus identifies with us. Hey, I missed a story I was supposed to tell. Oh, anyways, come back to it. I got another story. Uh, it happens. Um, I'll I'll go back to it after. I like it. It's small. Uh, This story, though, will tug at your heartstrings a little bit. I don't remember when it happened. It might have been in the 40s. It might have been in the 20s. I'm not quite sure. But the point is this. There was a little boy who always wanted a puppy. Okay? He wanted a puppy. He'd been saving up his money to one day have a puppy. He walked past the uh, pet store and wait for puppies to show up because he didn't have any at the time. So there was no puppy. But one day he walked by and there was a big sign in the windows, new puppies. Oh, the boy was delighted. He ran into the store, and he went asked the man at the counter who was busy doing something. He said, where are the puppies? And he said, they're in the back, son. Go look at them. So the boy went to the back and found all the puppies in there, playing in there. And he's playing in them. He's playing. He's hugging them and loving them. And then he picks out one. There's one in that pack that he's going to take home with him. Man, he's got it picked out. He grabs that one. He goes to the counter. He puts the puppy up there and says to the man, all right, I want this one. The man turns down, looks, and says, oh, no, son, you don't want that puppy. That's the wrong puppy. He's lame. He's not the kind of puppy a little boy would want. You see, that puppy, he'll, he'll never be able to run with you. That puppy will never be able to catch a stick or fetch a ball. That's not the puppy you want. Put, put him back and get another puppy that the boy was insistent. He said, no, that's the puppy I want. I want this puppy. And he put his money on the counter. And he paid for that puppy. The man said, all right. And as the boy took his puppy and started walking out the door, the man who hadn't noticed earlier that the boy had a pronounced limp. And he looked down on his leg, and there was a, um, a brace. See, the boy identified with that puppy. That's Jesus. Jesus understands you. He gets you. He identifies you. See, he came down in the flesh, and he was tempted and tested in every way as you and I have, and he understands, and he's able to help us who are also tempted and hurting. He gets you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to be a part of your life, and so if that's the way um, you've... um, If you haven't seen God in that light before, that's the way I want you to do it. Now, for you people who are you know long-term believers and stuff, Here's another little story. There was a little farmer named Joe. And Joe had a little garden of potatoes. And one day the devil came to him. Said, oh, look at your little potatoes. If God loved you, you'd have big potatoes. He looked at him. Oh, God doesn't love you. Look how small they are. God has, doesn't want anything to do with your little potatoes. And then Joe turned around. He said, you go away, devil. Because when I served you, I had no Potatoes. Now you go on and get out of here. That's right. God loves you. He's defeated. He's just walking around looking to hassle you. He's defeated. You have victory in Jesus Christ. You need to live that way too. Don't let him get you down. He's been crushed. He's been sent down for us. Yeah, he wanders around looking to make trouble for you and I, but he's done. He's over. He's finished. Man, if you've been living your life hiding, fear, not taking risks for God, today's your day. Today's the day you need to say, Lord, I get it. I understand. I am in Christ. I am secure. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Today's your day. I'm gonna ask Dave to come up here and he's gonna pray for us. And he's gonna if you don't know Jesus Christ either, you know, this is something that's a little different, it's a little hard, it's hard to follow along with, you're not quite sure. Hey, we'll be glad to share what any questions that you may have and we can work them out earlier down here at the at the front. Um, but if you've uh, you've been struggling and wrestling with this whole victory thing, well, we need to pray for you, too, this morning. You might want to tell someone about it and help them walk you through it. But I'm going to ask Dave to come up here, and he's going to close us off and pray for that.
0: Very encouraging. It's really good. Thanks, John. My mom would be proud. <laughs> but, um, yeah, why don't we stand as we come to a close this morning and... Um, What an amazing reminder of the position we have in Jesus. Isn't that true? I mean, he has accomplished this for us. You know, last week we saw what Jesus did out of his identity with the Father. But Sean reminded us today through Ephesians and through other scriptures that Jesus already accomplished something so we could have identity moving forward. And uh, we shouldn't live another day. Uh, not reveling in that, not confident in that, not being able to move forward and, and risk and trust the Father moving forward. And Sean asked us, to, if you're here today and um, maybe you've been exploring who Jesus is, maybe you've been tracking with us as a community for a couple of weeks or months, maybe you're even part of a community group and you're exploring questions of faith, and, but there's this moment where God um, would so long for you to recognize his work inside you, to recognize his voice speaking to you. And his, his invitation is, come, trust me. I've sent Jesus for you. Trust me. Begin a full relationship with me. And if that's where you are this morning, then I, I want to invite you to trust him, to put your trust in him. He's gone to the cross for you. He's died and resurrected for you. He's fought for your identity so you can be included in the family of God. And if that's you this morning, then all you need to do is put your trust in him. Recognize that this has already happened on your behalf. You can put your trust in him and he welcomes you in. So if that's you, I just want to invite you to pray um, with me this morning. And uh, and then we're going to close off our whole gathering together. And all you need is simple words to express this to God. Say, Father... Thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for what was done on my behalf. I recognize that you did that for me and for every person on our planet. I recognize I could not have accomplished this in my own strength, with my own intellect, with my own gifts. I have been dead without you, but I long to be alive in Jesus. And I long to know in my heart that I'm part of your family. So I put my trust in you, Jesus, today. God, help me to know in my heart that I'm walking with you in faith. If you prayed that prayer, then I just want to encourage you that God is with you. He empowers you he gives you grace and the power of his spirit to walk forward and we want to be a community of faith that rallies around you and each other as we walk in faith we don't want to be a church that just connects people to jesus jesus didn't just connect people to himself he connected people to community and so we want to connect you to one another so we walk forward together God, we just thank you so much for um, this incredible truth. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that your love has made a way so we can be in relationship with you and part of your family. We thank you that you welcome us to belong with you and in you and part of your family. God, help us to uh, move forward today and tomorrow and this week in confidence. Not in ourselves, but in the identity we have in you, the authority you give us, the family that we are now a part of. God, we long to move forward with that kind of confidence and the ability to take risks and to trust you. God, would you fill in the gaps even in our minds and heart as we as we move forward in this way. That's partly what it means to trust you. You are beyond us. And God, may we continue to grow as a church community that helps as a bridge for people to know Jesus, for people to come into relationship with you through Christ, and to connect people not only to Jesus, but as you call us to, to build a community of disciples of Jesus that we can walk together and encourage one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.